Hello, polar bears. Colonel Howie Murado, class of 90. I'm speaking to you today from the site of the Battle of New Orleans. On January 8, 1815, a ragtag group of 4,500 Americans faced off against 8,000 battle-hardened veterans. The British squared off against the American force led by future President Andrew Jackson. The American force was composed of pirates, free African-Americans, Choctaw tribesmen, New Orleans businessmen, U.S. Navy sailors, Kentucky, Louisiana, and Tennessee militia, the United States 7th Army Infantry, and 58 United States Marines. These early Americans had faced trials and tragedies in their lives, living on what was then the American frontier. From the threat of wild animals to surviving the elements and disease, struggle was part of their daily lives. But those hardships are also what prepared them to take on their greatest, most powerful foe that they had ever faced. And when the time came, they dealt the British Army what may have been the most lopsided defeat in their history. In 30 minutes, 2,000 British soldiers were dead to less than 100 American casualties. Despite having a numerically superior force with better equipment and better weapons and a corps of seasoned veterans, the British Army had been beaten by the most unlikely of armies composed of the least likely of soldiers. Since the Battle of New Orleans, Americans and Marines from every walk of life and every community in the nation have faced challenges not unlike the hardships you're facing today. From the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli, from Iwo Jima to Way City, from Iraq to Afghanistan, Americans, Marines, have risen to the occasion in every clime and place to take on and stare death and adversity in the face and overcome. And while the Marines' tough training has something to do with that, the heart and the courage, the teamwork and the determination is derived from their friends, their families, their teachers, their coaches, and their teammates. And it wasn't the easy days or the easy practices or the easy games that prepared them to fight and win the battles as Marines for their nation. It was the terrible times, the grueling practices, and the heartbreaking games that prepared them and instilled in them the American spirit to always fight and always win. So what's it going to be, polar bears? Are you gonna let COVID-19 beat you? Are you gonna let this virus break your spirit? Or are you going to use this to prepare for the next battle, the next challenge, the next foe? Now is the time to prepare, to train, to overcome. Use this, don't let it use you. Audaces fortuna yuva. Fortune favors the bold. Semper Fidelis, polar bears. Colonel Morata, how you doing? Hey, I, I'm good, Zach. Sorry for the delay. I um, had to do some IT and gymnastics in this building, and I had to get to a better space for some kind of activity. So, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, our government computers won't allow us to use Zoom. So <laughs> that's all yeah. right. So I'm talking right. on the phone. I apologize. It's not a little better picture. Yeah, you're fine. Hey, I appreciate the time. Uh, certainly, it's uh, time is valuable for for a lot of people, and so you know, certainly yourself. Um, we'll keep it short. Um, you know, usually Veterans Day, we have a great thing here at the school. 
uh, in the morning, you know, we bring in um, some veterans. We have a little thing in our commons and, and people leave first period and they are able to all meet in the commons. And, you know, we have a few things that the kids read. We play taps and, and whatnot. And then throughout the day, we have veterans speak in the auditorium. But with the times we're in right now, obviously that cannot happen, which is a shame. Right. Um, but a few of us were talking and, you know, it just popped in my head, you know, I, let's reach out to and see if Howie would be interested. And, and so I appreciate the time. Yeah, absolutely. And I wish, you know, honestly, thanks for doing this, Zach. And thank everybody there at Jackson for me. Uh, we didn't do this when I was in uh, high school. Um, you know, uh, as your dad probably well recalls, uh, but I think it's great that you're doing it now. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, let's start. Let's just go and provide just a brief background on yourself. Obviously, you're a Jackson alum. Um, you were involved in uh, academics heavily, athletics heavily, uh, and then kind of just post high school career and, and what got you to where you're at today. Sure. So um, coming out of Jackson uh, and, and, you know, this is this is not just a shameless plug for for Jackson. You know, I came out of Jackson really well prepared for college, uh, went down to Ohio Wesleyan University, uh, as most people probably listening know, in Delaware, Ohio. Um, and, you know, was uh, blessed enough, again, thanks to the Jackson education, get a full academic scholarship. But I played football there, uh, being a Division three school. Um, but it was interesting as I was studying there and looking at my future, you know, I'd always kind of been attracted to the military. My dad was in the Navy, uh, enlisted uh, during Vietnam. So, you know, service was always kind of on the table for me, but it, it was never like something I necessarily dreamed of doing. You know, I was an environmental studies geography major, so I wasn't, uh, certainly wasn't thinking about the, the Marine Corps. Um, and uh, just kind of as I was, um, you know, as many college and high school students do, you know, pondering what they're going to do with their lives. I happened to run into a uh, Marine Corps officer recruiter in the, uh, in the union building down there. And uh, I just tried to take some posters from my wall. I tried to be sneaky and he, he, he caught me and he said, Hey, I want, you can have a million posters you want. He's like, but you just got to fill out this card. Right. And it was a contact card. And uh, next thing you know, I'm, I'm on an airplane to Quantico, Virginia, and I'm sitting, and sitting around a rig and getting yelled at by these Marine sergeants. I don't even know how it happened, right? And uh, <laughs> next thing you know, um, you know, I graduated. And upon graduation, I was commissioned. Um, and I did eight years of active duty. Um, so eight years of active duty. And then, um, you know, again, kind of at a, a decision point in my career, I decided to go into the reserves, uh, try my hand in the, in the uh, you know, civilian world, as we say. Um, which probably the best thing that I ever did. So, you know, I did eight years on active duty. And that time I was involved with Kosovo, the, the Kosovo conflict, um, which was, again, you probably know it as a history teacher. I'm quite certain that many of your students don't. I know that yeah. many adults don't even know. They're like, Kosovo, we fought a war in Kosovo? Well, <laughs> it wasn't a very big war, but yes, it was a war. So, um, so I was involved in that. Um, and then, of course, 9-11 occurred. I was still on active duty for 9-11. And I did a lot of support of uh, Marine units, the first Marine units into Afghanistan. Um, so that was interesting. But then went to the reserves, activated many times while I've been in the reserves, um, went to Iraq, went to Afghanistan, uh, did two tours in the Pentagon, uh, led additive manufacturing of all things. Um, again, a tie back to the community. Um, I often reference Stark County. I often reference, uh, you know, seeing the manufacturing leave. You know, that was happening. I was at the tail end of that when I, moved into Jackson. Um, and then the, the impact that that had on me and my desire to, to help bring that back, 
Um, so it's been a big, a big part of, uh, of my Marine Corps career recently. And again, Stark County uh, and Jackson is never far from my mind. Uh, recently, I was uh, blessed to be selected as the deputy commander of 4th Marine Logistics Group. It's headquartered here in New Orleans. Um, there are 8,000 Marines in over 30 sites. I'm sorry, in over 50 sites in over 30 states. So I am the second in charge, if you will. There's a commanding general and there's me. So it's a big honor. And then recently, uh, I was activated in support of COVID, as you know. Uh, you know, some of the students have seen the video. Um, and then most recently, you know, as we say in the Marine Corps, no good deed goes unpunished. I was uh, asked by the commanding general for all the Marine Corps reserves to be his strategic communications officer. So I'm down, it's, so think about it as kind of public relations, um, public affairs, um, maybe, you know, helping craft his message for public release, things like that, working on um, anything that has to do with interfacing with the public or, um, you know, outside entities from the Marine Corps and the reserves to help, help with that. So it's, a, it's kind of a critical time in the Marine Corps. We're restructuring. We're refocusing our efforts to, to be able to compete with a, what we would call a peer adversary. So think about it like not, not to belittle what we're doing, but think about it as like Jackson versus North Canton, right? Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's going to be a game, right? And it's, it's not like uh, back in the day, I hate to say this for any Canton South people, like Jackson versus Canton South, right? <laughs> it used to be, you know, see, against certain teams, you know, in sports, we can walk out on the field and we, we're pretty confident we're going to win if we, if we play our game and do what's right, right? And that's kind of how it's been for the United States and the Marine Corps for a long time. Um, but it's not that way anymore. So we have to change the way we think. And so it's a big time of transition. Um, so that's also why uh, Lieutenant General Bellin asked me to come back and, and help with that. So it's, um, you know, it's always a, a new thing, but I love it. And that's why I've stayed even in the reserves pretty active um, and, and really enjoy what I do. Um, yeah. Yeah. I got to ask, um, you know, and this comes actually from an, another teacher, but, you know, what was the driving force, I guess, and you, you kind of answered it, but the Marines over, you know, maybe the Navy or, or another branch. And yeah. I, and did you expect to, to be in it this long and, and climb this high? That's great. That's a great question. Um, I think. You know, at first, I just thought the Marines were cool. I, I hate to say that, but um, like, man, those Marines, man, they look pretty cool in the uniforms. They got you know, that tough reputation. Yeah. And, um, and my dad was Navy, as I mentioned. And, and honestly, he was very upset with me. I'm not even jokingly. Like now we talk about the rivalry between the Navy and the Marine Corps, but it wasn't a rivalry for my dad. Um, yeah. He did not like it. Um, so it certainly not a decision that was condoned by either of my parents. Of course, my mom was, like many mothers, very concerned about me joining the Marines. <laughs> um, but for me, I'm like, Hey, I'm graduating college. Um, football was challenging. It was physical for me. I wanted something else that'd be physically and mentally challenging for me. And I said, well, you know, the Marine Corps did that. Right. But I also to your, the other part of the question, like, did I see me going this far? Oh no, no, absolutely not. Um, I just figured I'd do it for one, you know, term four years, you know, and then, and then go into the reserves and then just, you know, go on about my life, you know, go be an environmental lawyer or something. Um, and uh, I got into it and I loved it. Um, I did eight, the whole eight years of my contract on active duty. Um, but even then, I didn't see myself going this far. I, I don't want to tell the whole story. It's probably a good story for maybe we get together in person or with the kids in yeah. person. But uh, I was a lieutenant. and I wrote a letter to the commandant. And it was over a very controversial issue. It was the Prowler incident. If you remember when 
the Marine Prowler hit a wire in, uh, in Italy and killed, I think it was 23, um, people. And, uh, it wasn't my squadron that hit the wire, but my, my CO got fired. My commanding officer got fired who I cared for very deeply. He was a great leader and mentor. So long story short, and, and, you know, I ended up sending a letter to the commandant. I got personally invited to go see him at the Pentagon. Um, yeah, so it's a good story. And I thought pretty much my career was over. So, <laughs> and when I sent it, I kind of thought my career was over too. So, so to answer the question in kind of a funny way, absolutely didn't see myself lasting this long. Um, didn't see myself staying in this long, but it became really, um, really an integral part of who I am. And, you know, even though I left active duty, I didn't want to give it up completely. Um, so that's why I've stayed in this long, but to, to, you know, to say that I would get promoted to the, to this rank, no way. It's funny. There's three guys left from my basic infantry course. We started with 250, um, and we all became lieutenants or we were all lieutenants and we moved up. There's, I think there's three of us left. And the other one was just recently at a commander's course with me, um, in Quantico. Um, we both are colonels. We both got selected for senior level commands. So they have a little they have us go up there, meet all the senior generals, kind of, you know, talk about leadership and those things. And I remember Seth, Seth's actually a published officer, uh, published author, and he's got a couple pretty, pretty, uh, pretty good selling books out there about combat in Iraq. And Seth, we always knew Seth was going to be the man at, uh, at, at, at basic infantry school. We have what we call a cruise book and it said Virginia's finest, right? I had a picture of Seth just by himself. Virginia's finest. You don't get solo pictures in those books very often, but I actually had one too, but it was quite the opposite of Seth's. I had a picture <laughs> of me with my cover kind of on a little crooked and a big goopy smile. And the caption just said, Howie. <laughs> so Seth was rather surprised to see that I was like the last, next, like the next to the last man standing with him uh, yeah. here recently, but we all had a good laugh about it and uh, we're done. So yeah, so kind of a long answer to that question, but yeah, oh, never awesome. saw this coming. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so talking on Veterans Day, um, and obviously we're recording this before Veterans Day, but the students will watch this on Veterans Day. Um, what does Veterans Day, I guess, first off mean to you, um, certainly with your father being a veteran and, and now you being uh, in the military? Yeah. And, and, and I should note, uh, you know, my grandfather was a veteran as well. Army infantry in World War II, uh, Bronze Star, Purple Heart. So it's always been as it seems to be a lot of times in the United States now, it's a family business in a way. Um, so it uh, it's very personal to me from that perspective um, that, you know, it's kind of like a family tradition. And so Veterans Day is kind of a day for me almost to celebrate my family um, and to celebrate, you know, what it is that we have. Um, thanks to the veterans. But however, I will tell you this, you know, and I appreciate it when people say thank you. Um, but I also think, you know, every American citizen who does the right thing every day, pays their taxes and supports us because it's an, it's a unique and symbiotic relationship. And I think maybe that's what I appreciate about Veterans Day the most. Um, you don't see this in a lot of countries. Um, and I think or, or it's not we don't uh, it's not celebrated the same way um, as it is in the United States. And it's the unique nature I think of our, our system and our nation, um, and it's a unifying thing, you know, as, as we're going through these difficult times, um, you know, with a lot of challenging issues socially, you know, a very contentious election, which is still, I think, is of this moment undecided, right? 
yeah. Um, I think Veterans Day is one of those unifying things for our country, um, regardless of people's politics, regardless of their views. I think people appreciate the citizen soldiers that we are. And, and with the exception of a few times in our history, it's been an all volunteer force. And I think that's pretty important, too. So I guess for me, Veterans Day is a way to reconnect and honor each other um, as citizens and as veterans and as a, the unique country that we are and the unique people who serve who are no better or no different than anyone else. They just chose to do something a little different for a little while in their lives. Um, so I, I appreciate I appreciate Veterans Day for all those reasons. So a bit of a family thing for me, but also kind of a bit of a, a thing that just make a, makes America what it is and makes it a wonderful place and, and full of wonderful people, veterans and, and non-veterans. Yeah. yeah. How about, you know, it's, it's, I think, an always tough thing for especially younger people. But, you know, you're at the grocery store, you're at a ball game, um, you know, maybe you're in the park um, and, and you see a veteran. I guess, what is the most appropriate way to, to greet them, thank them, et cetera? Yeah, so that's uh, a great question. And, you know, um, simply coming up and saying thank you for your service is great. I will tell you that sometimes some some of my counterparts are like, they don't think they don't think it's bad. They don't think it's wrong. They just are like, you know, um, they, they kind of feel guilty a little bit. It's weird. I hate I, it. Just, it seems odd to say that. Right. But it, it's almost like, hey, if you're standing there getting the thank you, you know, there's like 100 guys who aren't standing there or 100 gals who aren't standing there. Right. For, you know, they may be lost. So you kind of feel like I, it's, you appreciate it. But at the same time, at least for me and I know a lot of my peers, we feel actually a little self-conscious about it. Um, that's not a bad thing. That's not a reason not to say thank you. Um, you know, if you feel compelled to say thank you, you will never um, a veteran will never be uh, ungrateful for that. They will all be always be grateful for, for you being grateful. Um, I think if you have more time than just to say thank you, I think um, if you have a couple minutes um, and if they have a couple minutes, you know, it, it's nice just to sit down and say, so, you know, which branch of the service were you in? What did you do while you were in? Um, and then kind of get to know them a little bit. I know that's not always possible. Sometimes just a thank you is all you have. And that's all the time you have. And that's great. And, and that's okay if, if uh, that's all you, you can do and you feel compelled to do so. But I think um, it, it, it'd be great if you could just spend a few minutes. Because I think a lot of us feel um, also very misunderstood. Um, uh, and it's no fault of the American people. Uh, I think it's just that there's a, there's a growing disconnect because less and less people have served. And there's nothing wrong. That's okay if you, if you haven't served. Just I think we're down to less than 2% of Americans have ever served in the military. And that's, that's, that's going down quickly because a lot of that number is uh, Vietnam veterans. You know, we lost most of the World War II and Korean veterans. Now we're down to the Vietnam veterans and we're losing them uh, now pretty quickly. Um, so I think, you know, as you, it's great because we want to share, right? We, we do want to talk about it. Maybe we don't want to talk about the gory stuff or the, the terrible things we saw. Maybe we just want to talk about what we do and help people understand us a little bit better and also understand that we're honestly, we're just, we're, we're just like you uh, as a civilian. We, we're humans. We love our families. We have emotions. Um, you know, we're not any more heroic in many ways than, than, than anyone else. You know, first responders come to mind. I think in many ways they're often more heroic. Um, so it's just, you know, allow us to tell you the story if you have a few minutes and learn more about that person. And I think it'll kind of enlighten you about veterans in general. So um, I think that's maybe maybe how I'd, you know, respond to that. Yeah. How about, you know, 
many of our kids, um, you know, are, are involved in a lot of community service projects. We now have a, a an organization, a, a group here at the at the school. It's called Jags. Uh, and, and their senior year, they do a big capstone project. Um, but but students love obviously doing a, an, an impactful thing for our community. And you know, if they were to focus on you know serving veterans in the military. You know, what's something that a, a high school kid could do to help that veteran, help that service member, um, you know, who may be returning home or, or is in our community? So I think for the younger veterans, um, for, and I, shoot, I, I guess I feel like an old veteran now. I'm 48. But <laughs> I, think for the, I, I think for the younger veterans, just uh, kind of what I said, just um, talk to them, you know, uh, just spend a little time with them. Just, just, I mean, you know, but a lot of times younger veterans, they, they don't even consider themselves veterans yet. So it, it's kind of hard to yeah. say now for the older veterans. And, and I guess when I say older, I'm kind of in the middle on this. Um, a lot of them are alone. Um, a lot of them, you know, may be suffering from, from service related, you know, health issues, um, you know, going over and seeing like, Hey, are there some chores that we can do? And, you know, veterans are you know proud to a fault they often won't ask for help but if if you show up ready to help they'll be happy you know probably that you did that and they'll they'll think of some things for you to do uh for them and and again the biggest thing though it's even more important than like helping them rake the leaves for example or or, or police as we would say in the military police the backyard of trash right yeah. clean up um would be then again, kind of like what I said, is spending a little time with them. I think the the thing that kills veterans the most, literally and figuratively, is loneliness. Um, a lot of the older veterans, again, not having someone to talk to, feeling like nobody understands them um, except other veterans. Um, so, and I, I'll tell you, it it thrills older veterans to talk to young people and share their stories. And here's the other thing about older veterans, which I think is also good for the young kids. So, young veterans generally don't want to talk about it with other young folks a lot of times. Um, and then, and then there's the guys at my level or my age that are kind of in the middle on it. Maybe we do, maybe we don't, but you know, a lot of older veterans are at a point in their lives where they feel like they can finally share and they want to share, but they don't know who. So sometimes they just want someone to listen to them and they'll tell stories that by the way, they may have never told anyone else in their lives. And it may simply because they're at a point in their life where, you know, they know their time's short and. They've actually got someone who cares and listens. And I, I would say, I know, again, a long answer to a short question, but, you know, the typical stuff like helping out around the yard, doing those sorts of things, but really more than anything, spend a little time when they're done and listen and just uh, chat with them for a bit. I think that, that'd be most meaningful. It's awesome. Uh, we'll leave you with a couple here. Number one, sure. what is a, maybe a characteristic, uh, you know, kind of those soft skills we like to talk about a lot that maybe you learned here? at your time at Jackson, um, you know, whether that be in the classroom, on the playing field, um, that you think really helped you in your career here? Yeah. Okay. That's, that's a great question. Yeah. And I've got them from both. Right. Um, so one thing that I learned, uh, you know, and it comes from your parents too, but it's grit. It's, it's grit. Um, you know, football and I, and, and some of these names you recognize, right. But, but, uh, coach Cheka, coach, Sheets, <laughs> um, you know, I'll tell you what, there was never an easy day with Coach Cheka. And you were never, <laughs> you were never going to make him happy. Um, at least you didn't think you were, right? Now, you yeah. may have been making him happy the whole time, but you didn't know that. 
he was never going to take it easy on you. And he forced you to be tough, right? He forced you to be gritty. I mean, you might have a little bit of that when you, you might've had a little bit of that when you came to Jackson high school and played football, but, but the coaches, and I just mentioned sheets and check. I mean, there's all of them, right? I mean, every single one of the coaches um, was hard nosed and demanding and it forced you to be gritty. It forced you to be determined. Um, and that was one thing that, you know, if there's one thing, if there's one overall, and there's a book out now too about it, which is kind of funny about grit, right? And, and that's what makes all the difference. It's not how smart you are. It's not how tough you are, although grit indicates toughness, right? It's not how strong you are. If you are grittier than your, than your adversary or grittier than your opponent or grittier than your competition, um, you're probably going to win. And, um, and if you don't, you're going <laughs> to, you're going to be darn close. And, um, you know, uh, that's probably the biggest thing that I learned on the gridiron that that's really helped me through, but not only my Marine Corps career, but also my civilian career as well. And then I would say, um, from, from the academic side, um, you know, they were always challenging us as well, but in a different way, which is do your research, right? Do your homework. Don't ever, um, you know, assume that you're good enough. Don't assume that what you've written is good enough. Um, don't assume that you always know how to get to the answer. Do your homework, be able to show your work, right? Literally and figuratively in math, but also not just in math, in history class, in English class, um, you know, and, and there were standards, right? There were high standards. We didn't have all the standardized testing, right? All we had was the SAT and the ACT back then, really. Um, and, uh, but you know what? The teachers held you to a standard and it was a hard standard and you'd great A's didn't come easy and that was good. And, and you had to, you know, you had to do your homework and you had like literally homework, like dig into things. And I'll tell you what, as an action officer in the Marine Corps, um, uh, in life, the, the skills that I learned, the research skills that I learned at Jackson, they got me through college. I'm going to be honest with you. College was great. It, it opened my eyes to a lot of things. But the basic foundation that I had on how to research, how to write, how to uh, develop a concept and then sell it, that happened at Jackson through presentations, through projects, through um, just hard written tests. Um that all happened there. And I'll tell you what, the biggest reason I've been a very good staff officer, I'm not quite your, not quite a war hero. I mean, I've deployed to three, you know, different combat zones, but honestly, where I probably made the most, uh, you know, money for the Marine Corps and for the American people is by doing very good staff work and helping leadership make informed decisions. And that came all in the classroom at Jackson. And I'm not, I'm not just saying that again, it, it said it a hundred times. My high school education is what set me up for success for the rest of my life. Awesome. I was uh, Coach Yang, who I'm sure you yep. remember. He's coaching still. He's helping oh Coach Roar out on the defensive side, and he wanted me to make sure I said hi. I was just with him at football practice. So, so coaching, yeah. So Coach Yangling was uh, the baseball coach back then too, yep. and uh, so I played baseball with Coach, and then he was the linebacker coach. So that's why I didn't uh, have as much interaction. But you know, I was a strong safety, so there were certain things, and I think Coach Yang put in the blitz packages. Um, and I, you know, tell coaching, I wish he would have blitzed me a little more, but I guess, you know, <laughs> we were a little conservative, uh, on the blitzing back then, but, uh, yeah, tell, tell him I say hi. I do remember him finally, again, hard as nails coach, but also a lot of fun. I do remember him being a lot of fun. He made it hard, but he made it fun. So yeah. tell him I say thanks. That's awesome. Hey, one last question here. And I always like picking people's brains in the spring when we were shut down. Um, I did a podcast where we were interviewing some alum that were involved in politics and whatnot, but 
maybe what's just one piece of advice um, you would give to a student, um, whether they're thinking about joining the military and, and serving our country or just really beyond uh, as, as they get ready to leave Jackson and, and go out and, and to the greater world? Yeah. So and I think it's timely, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be timely. It can be um, for any time in life. Is, uh, and it's going to be funny coming from me. <laughs> be a good listener. Be a good listener. Um, I, I like to talk. That's why I say it's funny to me. But um, it's so amazing and powerful when you sit and listen to someone. And you sit, and even, even if they have an, you know, an opinion that's different than yours, even if it's an uninformed opinion, because I talk to a lot of people, frankly, about the military and stuff, and they have uninformed opinions, and that's okay. It doesn't, by the way, uninformed doesn't mean stupid. That's not what it means. It, it just means they don't know or they haven't heard or they maybe haven't done the research. But, but, you know, listening to me is one of the highest forms of respect. And I think that's why it's powerful. If you will allow someone to talk and tell their story, you will get their respect. Um, and hopefully then they'll allow you to tell your story or tell your side of the story or um, to make the point that you would like to make. But you can't do that, I don't think, until you listen. By the way, that's that's across the world. I've been to so many countries I can't even keep track of. And I think even when through a translator, it is so, so important to listen. And that translates to respect in any culture. Um, so I guess that'd be my biggest piece of advice is, is um, work on your listening skills. Be an active listener um, and, and try to listen as often as you can. Well, that's awesome. Hey, I appreciate your time and, and obviously certainly uh, your service to our country. It's awesome seeing, you know, certainly a Jackson alum who was successful here and, and now post have a really successful career and, and really impact in our, our country and world. So I appreciate your time, Howie. Hey, thanks, Zach. Thanks for the interview. Hey, uh, Jackson, go Polar Bears. I, I, uh, you guys will do great in life. Don't worry. Thank okay. you. Have a good day. Thanks, you too.